Good morning, everyone. And then, okay, that's better. You couldn't hear me. I could hear you, but you couldn't hear me. Welcome. We're so glad to have you with us today. Those of you that are joining us online, it's a blessing to have you here. Some of you haven't been here for a while. Some of you have not been here. And we hope you'll keep coming back. Hope nobody is ugly to you and you won't ever want to come back here. But uh, you'll really enjoy yourself. And uh, we'll be blessed to have you come. As uh, I was saying to the early service this morning, uh, those words to that song, six words, amazing, and it is well with my soul. That is the hope of every person in this world. I can tell you that. Even people who don't know Jesus, that's the hope, and they go out looking for that in all kinds of ways. But isn't it wonderful that you and I have the, the hope and the, the, know, the knowledge, the, the truth, that we can have a soul that is well Boy, it's just a beautiful truth, and I hope that you this morning, as you sing through those words, to be able to sing it just knowing that your soul truly is well. It's a great joy, isn't it? Great joy. All right, well, we've got a big week coming up. There's a, a little little election coming up on Tuesday. Uh, if you want one of these little voter cards put out by Faith and Freedom Coalition, they're in the back back there. You've seen these. Uh, they do it pretty much every time there's an election going on. You can pick one of those up. I'm not going to go over all of that again. We had a message a couple weeks ago about the election, and uh, the one thing we will say is that please go out and vote, and uh, not because you're just an American, but because God has blessed you to be in a country where you have the right to do that, the ability to do that. And so go uh, just vote your biblical conscience. Remember, you are a follower of Christ, and so he is your king. No man is your king, but God has given to us authorities, here to follow, and so we have a voice in that. Many countries don't, and so we're blessed to be able to do that. So make sure that you take time to make that happen if you haven't already. The other thing is, you see the sign in the hallway. We've been mentioning this a lot, shoebox packing. The final day for that is the 13th from 8 to 8, and I just see Miss D back there if you need more information about that. We've got to make sure we get to the boxes to the distribution site on the days that they say that they can come. So Big ministry for us, and uh, you've been a part of this for all this year, and uh, hats off to each of you for what you've done, and uh, Dee and Kitty and those of you, Diana, spent lots of hours here trying to make sure that this is uh, a f an effective ministry, and it certainly has been that, and God will use it, I know. So if you haven't had an opportunity to take part in that, make sure that you do. Okay, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we'll get started in a new section this morning in Matthew's Gospel. Father, we thank you for the joy of gathering as Pastor Hamp has already opened us this morning with following you and singing our hearts to you, opening our hearts to you through song. Lord, it, it truly is just an incredible joy to know that we can be people who, whose hearts are well with you, but that internally we don't have to face the struggles that the rest of the world does. Although they're in our face, in our faces, Internally, spiritually, we know that you are in full control of all things. And so we rejoice this morning, Father. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your kindness. We pray that you would hear our hearts now as we open them to you and as you teach us and instruct us on this very valuable lesson this morning, Lord, that we may know more effectively what it means to be a person who fasts, biblically speaking. So thank you for this now, Lord. May we be attentive to you. Uh, on a gloomy day like this, it's easy for us to be tired and, and distracted. And so we pray that you keep the enemy away and keep us fully attentive to you. We ask now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so I've titled this A Biblical Understanding of Fasting because I think that's what it is. God wants us to know what fasting is all about. So let's stand and honor the, honor of the Lord and read verses 16 through 18 of chapter 6, Matthew 6, beginning in verse 16. <clears throat> Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right, amen. You may be seated. Now you know by now, if you've been with us, that as Jesus is continuing his sermon, which is exactly what he's doing, he's addressing now the third significant area that the religious leaders really missed. And that was particularly this area of fasting. Now, what he's already addressed, just as a review for you for a second, in the first part of the chapter, he's already addressed their wrong understanding of giving. And he's already addressed their wrong understanding of praying. And so now he wants to address this issue of fasting. This is what our Lord's purpose is, continually bringing them back to the heart. Because like all of these things, the problem was, if you remember, they were having a real difficulty living them externally, but not living them internally. And so again, the Lord wants to reorient their hearts back to him and back to the way they should be thinking. Because they were so much more concerned about what others thought and how other people viewed them, which is a real problem with the human soul, right? Everybody just shake your head. It is a real problem with the human spirit. We in our sinfulness want to be noticed. We want to make sure that people recognize us. And often we're hurt when we're not. And as religious leaders, these people had the same issues. They had lost complete focus of everything that God wanted from them as God's leaders and the Lord needed to redirect their thinking and make sure that they were understanding what they should be doing. And so before we get into this, let's just talk about the Jews and fasting for just a minute. It's not a real understood term here. We, we, I'll talk about a lot of this in the balance of the message here. But let's just talk about where they went wrong. Well, first of all, it's important for us to understand that the Jews had many fasts, not the small fast. I'm not talking about M-I-N-I fast, but a lot of them. They had a lot of fasts, and it was very common for them in their religious system. But the error that they had is really what I was already talking about. Their error was that they believed fasting was a way to deal with sin. It was all external. In other words, if I give then God will be pleased with me. If I pray a certain way, God will be pleased with me. And now if I fast or do this external act, certainly God will be pleased with me. You and I know, as we've talked about this, that praying can be challenging, right? I mean, it's tough to pray sometimes. You say, it's really not hard to pray. Yes, it is. That's why we don't do it that often. It's very challenging to pray. Okay, so they thought, well, if I become really good at praying and others hear that, then certainly God must be pleased with me. If I give, which is also very challenging, right? Everybody just shake their head. It's very challenging to give. Well, if we add fasting to this, this is even more difficult. And so they were ratcheting themselves up higher and higher on the affirmation level of, the, of their own making so that they looked better in front of everybody else. And all that fit their wrong understandings of Jesus, of what Jesus had wanted to address. They believed that if you give more money to the poor, 
you would be able to have your sins forgiven. I mean, they were really getting lost in all of this. They believed that if you ritually prayed, you could be forgiven just from the fact that you're praying, just the act of praying. And again, they had missed their heart in all of this. And a lot of this is not any different than what humanity has done throughout the centuries. We could list a bunch of different religions today that would say something similar. It's the external that we focus on. If as long as we're good people externally and we do what seems to be righteous externally, then that's what God is most concerned with. Most of the false religions of the world today will say, if you ask them the question, do you know for sure you're going to go to heaven? They'll say, only God knows that. And what they're basing that on is just the external. They're saying only God measures what's external and can be good enough to get into heaven. And so it's not an uncommon practice for a lot of people. But for us, those who are followers of Christ, we need to make sure we're focusing on the internal, the heart, and put Christ on display through our hearts and through our lives. Now, to understand fasting and its purpose... I want us to go to a subject that's very important to us, food. So let's talk about food just for a minute. It's a great subject. I love food. Food is really important to me. In fact, I try to have some every day, don't you? Several times a day and probably much more than I really need to be having because food is so important to me. But let's just think about it. There are really two reasons for food. Number one, it sustains us, right? That's pretty obvious. But secondly, it gives us a lot of pleasure, right? How many of you all would say, I just love to eat, right? You do, because it gives you a lot of pleasure. It's that warm fuzzy that we have. It's so great to eat. In fact, it's so great to eat. Let me just rattle off some things for you to think about. We go to great lengths to have great food, right? We go to the best parts of the grocery store. We go to certain grocery stores because they have those types of foods that we just love to have. We constantly think about our next meal. How many times have we come to church on Sunday morning and our stomachs are growling and our neighbor hears it? And all we can think about is, oh gosh, I hope they didn't hear that. I'm so hungry. Why won't the preacher quit preaching so I can eat? Because I love food. We dream about certain foods. Some of you say, oh, if I could just have, even right now, that whatever, and you name it, that cup of coffee, that piece of chocolate, oh, that leg of chicken, right? I mean, you just, your mouth is drooling even now as you're thinking about all of that. We spend enormous amounts of time going to get food and preparing food. It seems like every other day, Debbie and I are going to the grocery store. I said to her just the other day, I said, the kids are gone now, and why are we still buying so much food? It's because we love food, right? We just can't get enough food. And so we spend huge amounts of time getting food, and then we bring it home, and it takes forever to get it in the house so that we can bake it so that we can broil it, so we can roast it, so we can stew it, right? All of these things. So we can fry it and microwave it and grill it. And one of my favorite tools of technology today is to air fry it. It is good stuff. And if that's not enough, while we're eating food, we sit down and we watch shows about food, right? There are shows that we love to watch. There are contests over food. There are competitions about cupcakes, 
There are bake-offs. There are diners and dives that are the best in the country. There are barbecue cook-offs. There are top chef competitions where people lose their friends because of food. It's absolutely ridiculous. There are kids shows over food where kids grow up too soon and they cry as they're kicked off of the show because they didn't make the best food as the guy next to them. We have dessert shows. We have good food. We have junk food. We have food that tastes good, full of flavor. We have boring and bland food. We have meatless food. We have packaged food. We have dried food. And it goes on and on and on, right? We love food. We do everything we can to get food. And if that's not enough to consume us, we bring a lot of other things into our food, like where we're going to go get it. I've already mentioned the restaurants, but think about how important the ambiance is. The lighting has to be just a certain way. Or for some reason, the food just doesn't taste as good. And then if the music's not right, I get indigestion. Or if the size of the big screen TV isn't right, then why am I wasting my time at this place? right? Or the tables need to be exactly the right size because I'm a big guy and I'll hit my knees on the bottom of the table if I don't. Or the utensils need to be just right and the drinks have to be right and on time. And, and so we put this enormous amount of food into life because food is a God for many people. And that's just reality. And that's why it makes it so hard to fast because food is so much a part of our life. Now, interestingly, because food is so important important to us, God gives us some biblical examples of where food was a problem. In fact, let's go to the children of Israel in the wilderness. They become such a great example of all the problems. One day we'll talk about the good things they've done. It's not much. So Exodus chapter 16, verse 3, the sons of Israel said to them, that's Moses and the leaders, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. Now, you would think that that's all they were really concerned about, but that's not what they were concerned about. Listen, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Right? They were hangry. They were the epitome of hungry and that got them into a lot of trouble because food was more important than what God was doing in their life, in their lives. Numbers 11, later, the same people just years, some years later, the rabble, Moses writes, who were among them had greedy desires and also sons of Israel wept again and said, they're thinking back to Egypt again, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. That's a bunch of baloney. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlics, but now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. We're sick of this bread. Give us something else. Notice in there there's nothing about God and what God's doing. Numbers 21, just a little bit later, the people spoke again against Moses and God. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this miserable what? Food. It's all about the food. This is a terrible restaurant. Moses, you're a terrible chef. Take us back to Egypt. Now listen, it's not that food is, the, is a bad thing. In fact, food is neutral. Right? Can we just agree with that? 
I mean, food is just a thing when you really come down to it, especially when it comes to the spirit. It has nothing to do with anything spiritual, except for the fact when your blood sugar gets low. And I mean that seriously. I mean, our spirits are affected in that way. But the real point of food is to sustain our lives. Yes, it's given to us to be pleasurable. That's why we enjoy it. But it was never intended for us to make it a God. So the point is, food is so important to us. Again, it makes fasting a huge challenge. And the Lord knows that. And that's why he's dealing with the issue. But that's also why the religious liberals, let's call them, the religious leaders thought that they could be more spiritual in front of everybody else if they paraded themselves in a certain way. In fact, when I mention the word fast to you right now, you're probably thinking, not for me. I'm not going to do it because I love food too much. That's for the other folks. That's for you, Pastor. You can do that. And that's for the other people who like to go through that kind of thing. It's really challenging. I have a couple little cartoons here that I can't share with you because I just put them on here this morning. Um, but there's a picture, just kind of watch this in your mind's eye for a second. There's a picture of a guy with his head in his hands down on a desk, and he's saying, I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry. And a young lady in the next cartoon comes to him and says, how's the fasting going? And he looks down still at his hands. He says, not good, I can't stop thinking about food. And then he turns around, and he sa- she says to him, why are you looking at me so funny And the picture is her looking like a big vat of french fries. And he says, oh, this is not good. (laughs) So he's really struggling with this fast. But the truth is, the fasting really does have several benefits, and that's what we want to talk about this morning, especially biblically when we understand it. But just to be clear, there's another cartoon here of two monks, and one is standing there with a McDonald's bag, and the other one's looking at him and saying, fasting doesn't mean eating fast food. Yeah, that's not what it really means here. Now, the basic meaning is the basic meaning is certainly to stay away from food. In fact, every time you see it in the scripture, the word there is for withholding food or some type of liquid. Okay. But fasting has been such a change from the biblical intention over the years that um, fasting has become a way for people to look good to others. So people, it's not that people don't fast. But it's become a way of elevating themselves. In fact, people will fast to have better looking skin, right? People will fast to detox their body, to get rid of those impurities. They'll do it for social acceptance. You know, in other words, I have to be a part of this crowd and so I'll just eat what they eat. I'll stay away from what they stay away from. And people get caught up into that. People will fast to get a job. Those who are top models will fast in order to have their bodies look a certain way. And fasting becomes very appropriate, for, not appropriate, it becomes very much a part of their lifestyle. I remember when I was working years ago on the horse farm, I learned that when we would go to the racetracks, that the jockeys there often would starve themselves from early on in life in order to become that champion jockey. And that would actually stunt their growth. If you've ever seen a jockey, those people are not just weird people out there who look kind of short. They're short like that because they've actually withheld certain nutrients from their bodies at certain time periods in order to keep their body short and keep them small for their horses so they can become the best riders. Sometimes people will fast for political reasons like resisting the government. You know, we've watched this over the years where people go on these hunger strikes. Some people just fast because they don't want to be gluttons, and that certainly is a biblical thing, gluttony or anti-biblical thing. Like when you just want to stay away from some certain foods that you know will make you feel better. Or 
And, and all of that has some value to it. And I don't want to minimize that too much, but we want to focus on the spiritual because none of that really has a, a value spiritually. In fact, years ago, spiritually speaking, the pagans used to think that they had to stay away from certain foods because they believed that demons attached themselves to certain food items and if they ingested those foods, they would be overcome by the demons that had attached themselves to those foods. And some people even have thought that I'll receive visions and some type of revelation we'll talk about later if I go through certain times of fasting. And there are some Bible teachers that will teach that kind of thing. You'll be more spiritual and you'll be more enlightened if you put yourself through these spiritual routines and you'll be better than the next guy. You'll receive things that other people won't receive. Well, listen, that's a bunch of hogwash. That's not the biblical intention behind fasting. The point is to go on a fast to be different or better is not biblical. It's not what God wants from us. And these Pharisees, these religious leaders had missed that. Now, to look back in the Bible now, there have been many people over the years that have fasted and many illustrations we have in Scripture, and that's what we want to do this morning is to touch base with this. But remember now, the point that Jesus is making through this whole sermon is he wants your heart. It's an examination of the heart. Okay? So don't be like the rest of the people. God looks at the heart. That's basically what Jesus is saying through these subjects. What I want to do is, because we've brought up fasting here and gone through times of fasting, I want to talk about fasting because I've never really preached on it before. So I want to talk about it, what it means biblically and how we should be thinking about it biblically. But let's get back to the Bible people and who, those people who fasted. Moses did when he was on the mountain 40 days and nights. Samson fasted as a Nazarite in the book of Judges. Samuel fasted. Hannah fasted when she was looking for a child. David fasted, Esther fasted, Daniel fasted, and a lot of other people. That's just the Old Testament. And then we have in the New Testament, we have people like Anna, John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, whom we'll talk about later, and even the Lord fasted. You remember when he was on the top of the mountain? We saw this in the early pages of of Matthew. And many other people in Scripture have fasted who are God's people. But listen to this. As much as that has been the case, and we have record of this, Fasting is not a command. It is not a biblical command. And you should make note of that, either in your Bible or in your mind. Except for one time. There was one time in the life of Israel when God actually commanded the people to fast, and that was on the Day of Atonement. That Day of Atonement was that once-a-year time when the sins of the people were all brought before the Lord and the high priest would go into the holy of holy places to offer the appeasement to God of the sacrifice that God had said to, for them to offer. And we find in Leviticus 23:27, God writes this, Exactly on the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, talking to the people. And you shall humble your souls. You see that phrase right there? Now it doesn't say fasting, but that humble, of, humble your souls was a Hebrew expression that would include the forsaking of food when they were doing something as an act of self-denial. So it was just understood as God wrote that that the people of the Hebrew nation would understand. And so even though God's people may have fasted though and were commanded to fast, it is not commanded today. It was only commanded that one time. But it's no longer needed now. It's all voluntary because, as you know or should know, that day of atonement has passed. 
The day of atonement for God's people now came when Christ died on the cross, right? When Jesus paid the sacrificial sins for everyone with his own life. And so no longer is that Jewish observance necessary because Jesus has fulfilled the laws of God when it comes to forgiving of sins. And so there's no longer a commandment to fast on the day of atonement. And that supports the saying that Jesus says here in verse 16, whenever you fast. Now that's purposeful by God. God wants us to understand that he's not giving us some kind of requirement here. He says, whenever you do it, but it is written in a way that's understood by God that you do this, that it's, it's a normal acceptance and it should be carefully considered. Now, let's talk about fasting the wrong way because that's what Jesus begins with. Whenever you fast, there's the idea, do not, okay, here's the negative part, do not put on gloomy faces like the hypocrites. And then he describes them. They neglect their appearance so they'll be noticed. They have their reward. That's the negative part of that. Now, as we think about this, we need to think about, like most things, the Jews of Jesus' day performed fasting to be done, to be seen. We already talked about that. That's the purpose behind it. It was a way to elevate themselves, to get themselves in the eye of the public to be noticed. And just to be clear about this, so we understand the context of what Jesus is addressing here, According to Luke chapter 8, verse 12, they usually would fast two times a week. They would come out and they would fast in this way on those days. And those days were chosen, they said a lot of times, and we know this historically, because those were the days that Moses received the laws of God on two separate trips coming down from the mountain. It was on whatever days these were. The biblical truth is, though, or the historical truth is, is that those two days also just happened to be in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas the most popular days of the week to go to the marketplace for people. And so they chose those two days to go when it was most busy so that there would be the most people out there shopping and so they would find their audiences to prove just how humble they were so they could put themselves on display. And so just as Jesus says here in verse 16, they would wear old clothes. We know this historically to make themselves look very dirty and disheveled, kind of like a homeless person we would see today. They wouldn't comb or wash their hair. They would even do the normal Hebrew thing of covering themselves with ashes, which was a sign of mourning. And they would even put on makeup to make themselves look pale and sad. I mean, talking about playing the part of the hypocrite, because that's really what hypocrisy is, right? Putting on the mask to look differently. And so they literally would paint their faces to make themselves look like they were overly sad and the most humble of people. But it was all for show. It was all for show because, again, they wanted to make themselves be more spiritual. And so Jesus calls them out. He's calling them out because he knew that their hearts were wrong. He knew where the issue was. He knew his father was not their focus. They were their focus. They were more concerned about themselves. And that's why Jesus says, listen, oh, they're going to have their reward all right. That's why he says that at the end of verse 16. And so that's partly where they came up with the wrong understanding of fasting. Now, when it came to how often they fasted, the religious leaders also chose those times because there's nothing given to us in Scripture about how long a fast is to be. 
And again, the point I want to help you to see this morning is that we got to be very careful that we don't assume that because somebody fasts for a longer time or more often than somebody else, that that makes them better than anybody else. Okay? We have to be really careful about this kind of thing because Satan loves to elevate people in front of others, right? Sometimes we'll get the sense of, oh, wow, look at he or she and how, wow, they just pray and they, they fast. And, and we get that sense of, I'm just not as good as that person. You see how Satan uses it against us? So the reality is there is no commandment about fasting and there's no time frame for fasting. Sometimes God's people make up the times that they want it to be. Sometimes it's for an hour. Sometimes it's for half a day, all day. Sometimes it's seven days. Sometimes people have fasted for a week and a half. Sometimes people have fasted for two weeks or three weeks. Sometimes people have fasted from sunup to sundown. It doesn't really matter. In fact, I found this illustration from a church just today up in northern, uh, actually it's in Ohio, who is asking their church to consider a fast. And here's what they said. As a church, we will be doing a 40 days of prayer and fasting. These 40 days will lead up to the start of our global impact celebration, our yearly missions conference, where we celebrate what God is doing around the world through our missionary partnerships. We pray that you will join us in this. Now, there is nothing wrong with that statement at all. Praise the Lord that they're doing this. And I really want to encourage that. But there's a sense in which you and I can look at that and say, wow, these folks are going to do this for 40 days, right? Man, they're, they're having a really big impact on people. And we begin to feel this sense of maybe not necessarily conviction because conviction is of God where he moves us in a certain direction, but we feel this almost sense of humiliation. Maybe we're not as godly as these folks. So it's not wrong. We want to make sure we're understanding that. But there's no length of time given in Scripture. Again, because fasting is not a command and God doesn't want us to be lost in the time. One length of time makes no difference for what you're doing and what God calls us to do. It's all about the spiritual and it depends on the circumstances. It depends on how you or I may be feeling about the circumstance and what we're witnessing through it, and how the Lord is leading us individually, and perhaps as a church like this one group, together as from the leadership. And Paul becomes a good example of this not qualifying time in 2 Corinthians. Two times in chapter 6 and even in chapter 11, we're told that Paul fasted, and he fasted often, but he doesn't give any specifics. And you would think that as God's man, his spokesman, who wrote so much of the New Testament, if God wanted for us to have some kind of specifics about this, that would be an opportune time for him to do that. But there are no times given. There are no standards given because all the circumstances were different. And that's the point that I want you to see. So again, just understand fasting is not commanded and there's no set time period to fast. Now this is, again, I can't belabor the point too much. When we have gone through times of fasting at the church, I can't tell you the number of times that there have been conversations where people have said, well, should I, should I fast for a day? Or, or, or this fasting is really tough for me. Um, can I, should I go for a week? Or, uh, you know, the church is setting aside this time. You, you see the point? And some people will say, oh, it's just too tough. I just won't be a part of it. You might be here this morning saying that. Well, just understand there's freedom in this as well. Let's don't get lost in legality of things so that we miss the point, which is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. 
Notice now next, Jesus is going to talk about it as a matter of the heart. Made this very clear, verses 17 and 18. When you fast, there it is again, when you do this, it's a part of your spiritual life, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting won't be noticed by men. But your father will see it, basically, because he sees everything that's in secret. In other words, there it is, when you fast, do it secretly. In other words, take a shower, right? Put your makeup on, but don't put it on in such a way where everybody goes, oh, they got the frowny face on, right? Their eyes are droopy. They must be fasting. Look at those precious dear saints. So spiritual, right? We don't want to do that. Look normal is the idea. Now, for the rest of the message, if you understand those two things, it's not a command and there's no certain period of time. There is a wrong idea about this. Let's look now at some of the examples biblically of when a fast is appropriate. Okay? When a fast is appropriate for biblical reasons. Number one, a biblical fast is appropriate when there is some grief or sorrow. When there's some grief or sorrow. Oftentimes in Scripture, there have been times when people fasted, they removed food, they removed water, we're going to see that, from their diet because the situation was so serious and so grievous to them, so sorrowful to them that they just didn't want food. Food was just not something that was of interest to them because they were so overcome by the situation and so food was the last thing on their minds. And you and I can identify with that, right? I mean, we know those times when we've undergone such great challenges when you talk about food and it's just like, oh, I don't know, man, that's, I'm just not hungry right now. Maybe you've gotten some bad news or you've heard uh, you've been a part of something or something's just really distressed you uh, and, and you just uh, food is just not something I want. Well, we should not go to somebody and say, oh, no, you should, you should eat food. No, we should let God do in that person what God is doing because it can be very beneficial spiritually if we're thinking spiritually correct through it all. There were times in the scripture, and this is what we want to get to now, some of these examples where it was just that way for God's people. Not only did they complain about not having food because that was their focus, but there were times where God was doing something and they called for a fast because it was so serious, like in the days of Joel. And I'm going to bring up this in the context of what they did, and then we're going to look at this passage again, but just a few verses before this in another way, to see another way that uh, fasting is appropriate. In verse 17, Joel says this, chapter 1, the seeds have shriveled under their clods, talking about the dirt. Think about a barren wasteland. The storehouses are desolate. The barns are torn down, for the grain is dried up. How the beasts groan, the herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I cry, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, for the water brooks are dried up and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness." What Joel's talking about there, we'll see this in a minute, he's talking about the judgment of God, but right now there's been such great sorrow in the land. And Joel is really prophesying also the coming time of the millennial reign when God will come in judgment. But the people are so overwhelmed that food is not an issue. They don't want that. It's a time of sorrow. In Nehemiah's day, those of you who have studied through Nehemiah, you'll remember that when the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down, 
how Nehemiah responded to that in chapter 1. He says, when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. Well, how long, Nehemiah? He didn't tell us. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You see, his heart was so heavy with what he saw in Jerusalem that he couldn't do anything but go into a time of fasting and praying. And then we have people like King David who wept and fasted, get this now, even when his enemies weren't doing well. How about that? That's a switch, isn't it? Psalm 35, David writes this, Malicious witnesses rise up, and they ask of me things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. To the bereavement of my soul, David says. But as for me, listen to his heart now. When they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. There's that customary sign of mourning. I humbled my soul, how David? With fasting. And my prayer kept returning to my bosom. Over his enemies, David fasted. Amazing. When Abner, here's an example, Abner, who was a military leader, one of the military leaders, and tried to take the kingdom from David, and David fasted in 2 Samuel 3. The king chanted a lament for Abner. Should Abner die as a fool dies? Now Abner, again, was the one who came against him, and he was killed for coming against David. But David was sorrowful over this. Your hands were not bound nor your feet put in fetters. You weren't a prisoner as one who falls before the wicked, in other words, but you have fallen and all the people wept over him. Then all the people came to persuade David to eat the bread while it was still day, day, but David vowed, saying, May God do so to me and more so also, talking about Abner, if I taste bread or anything else before the sun goes down. Why was David fasting? Because his enemy had been defeated. Wow. That's a change of heart from what the world would say, isn't it? David, when he committed the great sin against God in Bathsheba and Uriah and committed adultery, and God, out of just reward, took the life of their child. And as a result, David fasted. Second Samuel 12. So Nathan, the prophet, went to his house after he had confronted David And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David so that he was very sick. David therefore inquired of God for the child. In other words, he prayed. And David fasted and went and and lay all night on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. Just on a personal level, my heart was really moved by these things as I read through them, and I couldn't help but think about my friend Tony, who is a children's pastor at a church in Northern Virginia. Uh, When I first met Tony, he was in a 40-day fast for his son, David. And I was so moved by that because as the weeks went by and we prayed and still are praying for his son, David, who is a young man in his early 20s, uh, Tony just felt called of the Lord to withhold food from Uh, those days from his life and there were a couple days he would eat some broth or something like that and he understood it was not a commandment of the Lord but uh, how his heart just so ached for his son I was so moved by a dad's love for their their child that he would consider such a thing and take time to go through what he did to neglect his own body the this glorious thing that God has given to us to enjoy that his son was so much more important And so it was that sorrowful time that he 
he knew God was calling him to, to lift it up to the Lord in prayer and fasting. And I know this, my wife and I, as you all have been so kind to ask us about our brother-in-law, Frankie. Uh, we don't have good news still. He's still not awoke, awakened from uh, the coma, basically, that he's in. Um, but I know when I first heard of it, when Debbie called me two Sundays ago today, and to the whole drive down to Roanoke, I was just food was just not even something I was even thinking about because my heart was so sorrowful and so heavy for what had happened to our brother-in-law whom we love. And so on a personal level, I understand this. And so I guess the question for all of us would be, are we so attached to food that when someone or some issue in life is so broken that food is still the main thing that we're concerned about? Or some situation that needs God, that only God can take care of, that we gladly will give up a meal because someone is in great need, even if that means an enemy. Imagine. It shows how far we've come from the heart of Christ, doesn't it? How far we've removed ourselves when we've been betrayed and insulted and still God will call us to forgive our enemies. But I wonder how many of us have entered into a time of fasting like David. I mean, should we not mourn over the loss? Should we not mourn incredibly over those souls that are going to enter into an eternity without Christ? Should we not feel the weight of those who are suffering greatly in this life and need the touch of God on their soul? Should we not go to the Father in fasting, lifting up those people, whether it be a loved one or an enemy, a husband, a wife, a child, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, whomever they may be? I think we would fast more often if we were more sensitive to the needs beyond our own stomachs, wouldn't you? And then there's a second thing. Fasting is very biblically appropriate when there is the possibility of danger. The possibility of danger. And we have quite a few examples of this in Scripture. When Judah, the southern kingdom, was threatened by the Moabites and the Ammonites, King Jehoshaphat called for a national fast said to the entire people because it looked as though they were doomed and possibly would not win in that situation. You can read all about that in Second Chronicles 20, verses 1 through 4. Esther, one of my favorite biblical characters, when she heard about the plot to annihilate all of her people, the Hebrews, you remember this story? What did she do? She called for a fast in Esther 4.16. Go, she says, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me as she was getting ready to go before the king unannounced. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I don't know what the significance of those days were. Somebody can help me if they know that. I and my maids also will fast in the same way. Isn't it interesting that in the time of danger, Esther thought, I need to fast to go before the Lord. There was a time when the Jewish exiles were in Babylon and they were to return back to their homeland. The king had given them that privilege to do that and under the hand of Ezra the prophet, they were to be led back to Jerusalem. But it was a scary and a dangerous trip for them, especially for the families who had children. In fact, Ezra writes this in chapter 8, verse 21. Notice what he says, I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahiah that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek Him for a safe journey for us, our little ones and all our possession. Can you imagine that scene? If 
For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him. But his power and his anger are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted. In other words, I was terrified to tell the king. I was afraid to mention it because the king had given us this privilege to go back home, but I was afraid in my humanness to tell the king. So what did I do? My resort was to fast. And we sought God concerning the matter. And I loved this. And he listened to us. Isn't that beautiful? God heard us. He was moved by our fasting. And listen, folks, this is not uncommon even in our day. There are those in this life that are across the world and even in our own country that are suffering and struggling because of those who are coming against them. In fact, David, can we show this, Chris, and this little video from Brother Al uh, compassionate hope. I just got this this week of a video on their phone that somebody captured of people going into a Christian's home and literally dismantling it. Okay, listen to the sound in the background. That sound in the background was the sound of hammers and whatever else tearing down this Christian family's home. Imagine now when we're done here, you drive home and you pull up into your parking space at home and somebody's there doing that just because you're a Christian, tearing your home down, that you've worked all your life for and spent those years building and preparing. This is what the Hebrew people were going through and this is the point that Ezra was bringing out. The result or the resolve in this is to fast because it is a way of touching the heart of God. And so when danger is imminent or threatening or when we're sorrowful over something, fasting is biblically appropriate. Let's go to a third one. Fasting is also appropriate when seeking forgiveness from the Lord. When seeking forgiveness. And David again is a great example of this. When he found out his sin, when Nathan confronts him, he fasts. Not just because of the child that God would save the child, but he fasts to ask the Lord to forgive himself. When Ahab, this same king, fasted when he was confronted by Elijah, Elijah the prophet, under the judgment of God for his great wickedness, Ahab's wickedness. We read about that in 1 Kings 21. It came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted. 
And he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but will bring it upon his house in his son's days. Now that's a whole other message. But the Lord has not forgotten the evil of Ahab. But he will certainly forgive the one who has been most evil if they come repentantly. And Ahab saying, my resolve is to fast. I've got to do that. And we see another when Ezra sought the forgiveness of God for the sins of his people. In Ezra chapter 10, I won't take the time to read that one. It's a lengthy passage, 1 through 6. But Ezra calls on the leading priests and the Levites and the Israelites to commit an oath and to fast before the Lord. One of my favorite ones is Jonah. Uh, Jonah wasn't real happy with the Ninevites. You remember that? In fact, Jonah didn't like the Ninevites at all, and that's why he got in trouble with the Lord. He ran the other direction, and God swallowed him up with a big fish. But the Lord says, no, i got a plan for the Ninevites. He says, I want you, Jonah, you're my man, to go back and you tell them that I'm coming in judgment. And you're not going to survive unless you repent. And Jonah's like, I'm not going to do that. I don't like those people. And furthermore is, I know you, God, and you're going to forgive them if I go give them the message. Well, Jonah didn't want to do that. But he does because he can't fight a big fish and God at the same time, right? So he goes back and we read in chapter 3, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord, Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. That's a big city, folks. Takes you three days to get across it. That's a big city. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. There's the message. Then the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called what? A fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down on ashes. He issued a proclamation. Notice this now. In Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. I mean, good grief. He's so serious about this, he says, don't even feed your dog. Folks, in our culture, that wouldn't go well. I'm just here to tell you. Do you know how much money is spent on pets? You withhold something from the pet, and the person's going to bite you. The dog may be fine with it, but the person will bite you. And the king says, hey, folks, listen, we're so serious about this and what God is going to do to us, we want to cast everything out. And so he says here in verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Praise his name. Folks, the point is, and we've got other examples, the point is when you've been caught in some transgression, and you know it, fasting is an appropriate biblical response. It is an appropriate response. When Saul was blinded on the Damascus Road, God was chastening him. He blinded him for those days. But we're also told in Acts 9, he fasted for three days both from food and water. 
That's a serious fast. And here's the fourth thing. We've only got a couple more and we'll move quickly here. Fasting is appropriate when there is the threat of a divine judgment. And that's what we've just seen with Jonah. Okay? The purpose behind number three was that the people looked for forgiveness. But now we know that there's the threat of divine judgment. And so the response by people has been to call on the Lord. Now here's this other for a few verses from Joel that I was giving to you just a few moments ago that I didn't read. So when Joel called for a fast over God's judgment of the people there as well, Israel's response was unwilling to obey him. And so Joel says, consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Why? Because judgment is coming. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. Listen, folks, when was the last time you and I were so upset about the potential judgment of God coming upon the world that we gave up food for the world? When was the last time? Probably not recently. Am I right? And we know it's coming, don't we? The Lord has told us it's coming. But how many of us have been so concerned about the world that we were willing to fast for the souls of the unrighteous? Here's the fifth thing. Fasting is appropriate when trying to discern or proclaim a revelation from God. Now this is one most people are, the one that people are most interested in. But we want to be really careful with this because many people think God will give them some kind of revelation if they just go into a time of prayer. If they go into a time of fasting, then surely God will be pleased and he'll give me some great insight into something nobody else knows about. But that's the wrong understanding behind this biblically. We have to, we have to understand that we're, we have to think carefully about this because fasting is always a response to what God does. It's not the other way around. Fasting does not call for God to do something. It's a response to God and what he's already said he wants to do. Very important that we understand that. There's nothing special about our fasting by ourselves. There's nothing going to call God to change and give us some revelation of something that he's not doing already. And Daniel knew that. In fact, in Jeremiah's prediction, as we read in Daniel, the book of Daniel, Jeremiah had earlier predicted that they would be in captivity for 70 years. Well, Daniel didn't understand that. He didn't understand the words of the Lord there. So again, God had given him the words, Jeremiah, but Daniel as a prophet didn't understand. And so we read in Daniel 9, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the Midian descent, this was an ungodly, a pagan king, who was made king over the kingdoms of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed, see there, as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. That's what I was just talking about. So verse 3, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. In other words, Daniel again is confessing the sins of his people, but he's saying to the Lord, Lord, I, I want to understand this so I can give the correct understanding of these 70 years. And then we read that Gabriel comes and gives him the clarification of what he's just been praying and fasting over. So this was a work that God was already doing. Daniel wasn't conjuring this up by himself. And so again, the point is twofold. Daniel's saddened by the sinfulness of the people, but he needs to understand what the prediction is. What is God really doing here? 
When Moses was on the mountain waiting for God to give him the Ten Commandments, he, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He knew God was doing it already. And so he was in this time of communion with God. When Paul gave his messages for God, he fasted. God had already delivered the message, but he knew that he needed God's mind in it all. And so when he began his ministry, he went also in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights to discern the mind of the Lord that God was already doing in him. And so the point to me seems to be is that maybe you and I should stay in the word of the Lord longer and more often so that we can discern the mind and the will of the Lord while we are praying and fasting in our study of the revealed word, right? There's no need, beloved, for us to say, oh, what is God doing? What is God doing? What is God doing? It's okay to ask that question. But to get lost in your own life and say, oh, I just don't know what God is doing. God has given to us what he's doing, beloved. The problem is we just don't understand what he's doing because we don't keep our nose in the book long enough to know what he's doing. But when we do keep our nose in the book and we hear people teach us what the word is telling us, then we can say, oh, okay, so if I do this or I do this, that's what God's already directed me to do, right? And that's what we keep hearing Sunday after Sunday, year after year. So we got to make sure that we're clear about that. In fact, one pastor said to all students, if you don't understand the meaning, keep yourself in the chair until it's clear. In other words, too often we say, oh, I don't get it. I don't know what that means. The pastors do this, and this is who he was talking to. I don't understand that passage, so we'll just skip it. no. The message is, no, you stay there with the Lord until you figure out what he's saying because he's not trying to confuse you. And the only thing I would add is don't worry about his lunchtime coming as much as you are about what God is saying and what he wants you to know. In fact, the verse that often motivates me the most, and I've shared this with you before, is James chapter 3. Let not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing that we will incur the stricter judgment and I have to say to you beloved that verse really haunts my soul in a good way but I put the energy I put into it for you yes because I know that God will hold me accountable in a different way than he holds you accountable because I've been called to be a teacher of his word which is the same for our Sunday school teachers and our children's teachers but there is a greater accountability. And so we have to spend time in prayer and fasting at times when God calls us to do that so that people will know what he is saying. And there is no confusion. Okay, so there's two possible reasons for why you may not know what God is doing. One is you may just not be saved. And I'm not saying that in an ugly way. It just could be because you don't have the spirit of God in you or you just don't put enough energy into the word of the Lord to know what God is saying. And that's what we want to correct. Here's the sixth thing, and we'll close with this. Fasting is appropriate when a task or ministry is started or leaders need to be chosen. When a ministry is started or leaders need to be chosen. Such cases as when Paul and Barnabas were chosen by the church in Acts 13. There were in Antioch and in the church that were there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Listen, verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, this talking about the church, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And then they prayed 
to appoint elders in the church. Acts 14, verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, God responded and gave them what they needed. Now listen, the point is there, fasting is a critical element for the appointment of leaders in the church. It is a critical element. Well, the Lord wouldn't have left us. This is not a command, but is a critical element of the seriousness of what we need to be doing as a people group. We're talking about more leaders. We need more leaders in our family. We need more Sunday school leaders. We need elders. We need deacons. We need people who will take the reins of ministry and go with them. But as a church, what we need to be doing is fasting and praying. This is the issue from the Lord. Because when the leadership is right, the church will be right. Amen? Right? When the leadership is not right, the church will be a mess. And we've been very, very careful over the years to make sure that people in leadership are the right people to the best of our discernment as God leads us. We've been very cautious about that. And I think we're reaping the rewards from that in a lot of ways through peace and contentment and harmony. But we've also got to look to the future. And we've got to realize, and I'm going to send this out in an email again to refresh your minds of this statement, but listen, when you plant a kernel in the ground, you only get one stalk up, right? The more kernels you plant in the ground, the more crop you reap. And so when we're looking to the future, we need to make sure that we're preparing ourselves as a church family for the generations to come after us. But as long as we keep reaping the same kernel of corn in the ground, that's all we're going to get. It's a very simple biblical principle. We've got to be planting more so that God will give us more so that we can continue on in the future, right? Now I'll send all that out and again in an email so you can say, oh good, I don't have to remember that. No, please remember that. But I want to send that out so it's more thorough and you're understanding what I'm saying here. Listen, John MacArthur said this, You tell me, is there any more important than it is now to have the right people? Is it any more important than now than to send the right missionaries? If it was a task then that demanded such intense prayer that they fasted, is it any less for us? Is the church any less significant today than it was then? Is it any less blood bought now than it was then? Is it any less the reflection of Christ now than then? Less the ministry of the Spirit now than then? Well, the answer is obviously no. And if they were so intense in the selection of their leadership then as to pray and fast, should we be any less intense? It's a great point. It's a great point. Listen, can I ask you to be that sincere and earnest in the desire for leadership? That God, that you would listen to God as he puts on your heart to pray and to begin to fast, that God would give to us leaders for this church? For Sunday school teachers, is all these things that I've brought up already? Would you do that? Just remember, though, that fasting is not the magic bullet. Let's be clear here. Fasting by itself does nothing, but fasting with prayer does everything. You see the point? So don't, don't misunderstand what God is saying here, that fasting is the magic avenue to God. No, prayer is the avenue with which God calls us to, and we add to that fasting, not the other way around. Very important that we see that, which again leads us now to the final thought. We've already talked about this for the most part, is that fasting is appropriate when seeking God's direction. As much as we want to pray for the future, we want to pray that God gives us clarity for the future. Abraham did that. 
He knew that God had promised to him a people after his own body. And so he sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac. You remember the indication is, is that servant not only prayed, but he fasted and God led him to Rebekah. Paul prayed for divine direction and clarity over and over and over again. Some of you are trying to make decisions right now and trying to discern the will of the Lord and what he wants for you. Uh, Maybe what you need to do is pray and fast. Add fasting to your prayer. Some of you are trying to decide, do I take this job or that job? Do I move from this house or that house? What do I do about this with my kids? What do, I, who, what do I do about marrying somebody? Do I go to school or not? Do I buy or sell property? Do I give a gift to somebody? Do I confront somebody on some issue? Whatever it might be, add fasting to your prayer, not as a way to make yourself more holy, but simply because it's biblically appropriate. And God has shown us that. It sets us apart so that our normal focus is not about us, but our focus is about God. And this again, beloved, is what those Pharisees missed. Fasting is always to be accompanied by prayer, not the other way around. Listen, biblical prayer, when it's thoroughly biblical prayer, will be from the heart, right? Which is what Jesus just said last. Look at it again. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, and God will see it in secret. Because what God really wants is your heart. He really wants your heart. When your heart is fully wanting God, it will call you to fast. It's just a natural byproduct. Amen? Okay. Some good things to understand from God's word about what's appropriate or what seems to be somewhat normal from biblical uh, fasting illustrations and what fasting is all about. So you should at least have some kind of an idea of what fasting is all about. Now it's up to you to begin to pray and ask God to teach you about when he would have you to go through that now that you're free to live the way that God wants you to live in the area of prayer and fasting. Okay, It's not for show. It's all about God. All right, well, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, the, the privilege and the joy of knowing you we thank you for the joy of what it means to be your child, for the joy of what it means to know that we can come to you boldly before your throne of grace, not because of us, but because you are God and you desire to provide what we need. And Lord, uh, as we kind of were laughing a lot in the beginning, food is so enjoyable to us. And you've blessed us so much with this whole ability to enjoy food. But Lord, often it becomes a God to us. Now we pray that you would help us as we move forward in these days, that you would help us to add biblical fasting regularly to our praying. Whatever that looks like, Lord, will you deal with us individually and even corporately as a church that we might do it appropriately, not because we want to be seen, but because we want you to see us and hear us and we want to know what your will is. For these days. Now, Lord, we pray this all and ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.